0: Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. And T. Frank, as we get closer and closer to the football season... Yes, it's that time again. Our buddies at GoPSURV are going to be ramping up again this season. As a reminder, this is where you get to drive your vehicle to Happy Valley. You have an RV set up, ready and waiting for you. And this year, KSN is teaming up with GoPSURV to offer a special deal. Be the first to reserve the KSN special for either Ohio, Central Michigan, Northwestern, Maryland or the Michigan State Game, you'll get $500 off your RV for the weekend. It's a great deal, a lot of fun there, and to get that deal, you just need to call Mark at 800-519-8467. That is gopsurv.com. T-Frank, we are getting closer to the season and before we started, we had a little bit of a chat, could tell that you were ready for the season because you're getting your film study done, right?
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm taking an early look at Purdue. You know, this is pretty preliminary, just watching some things, getting an idea of what the offense does, really just watching the offense and kind of getting a sense of what they do schematically. Not necessarily all the individual players and who's back and who's playing what position and who's good and who's bad and what do you have to watch for in week one. Just trying to build the foundation of what they try to do so then all of those things make sense and they can be a little bit, I don't want to say irrespective of the players involved, but we'll give those players kind of the context they need.
1: Very good. And maybe the next week or two we'll talk about what you saw on film, T. Frank. But today, we're going to still take a look at Penn State. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the offense and your scouting report. We're going to switch over to the defense, and we're going to start this segment with the defensive line. I'm really fascinated by the defensive line, T. Frank. Significant losses on the line. Iba Keita gone, Jesse Lucada gone, Derek Tangelo gone. And on the plus side, though, you may end up with four guys on the field who were not here or at least at the end of the season last year were not on the field with Adisa Isaac, Chop Robinson, P.J. Mustafer, and Akeem Beeman. So it could be a whole new defensive line, can't it?
2: Yeah, and so to the one player that Penn State needed to have back or really needs to replace Is is uh, Arnold Ebikidi because Derek Tangelo was a good football player and I don't want to take anything away from him, but he did not. He was not transformative in his play. He was a good player that when things were going well was playing his role very, very well. Arnold Abikidi changed the defense last year, and I talked about it this way, kind of a line in the sand for Penn State. When they needed pressure, when they needed somebody to get the, the ball out early, to get the, the corners to be able to jump the route, or the safeties to be able to jump a route, they, every team knew that you could not hold on to the ball in true passing situations against Arnold Abikidi. Finding that, especially for this defense, that is a big thing. Um, when it comes to the other players, I, there is a chance that Penn State's better this year on the defensive line in a meaningful way with the depth and talent they have at defensive tackle with multiple players that might be able to step up and produce better than, you know, even Tangelo and Mustfer were at their best last year. Those are a lot of ifs. And then on, on the flip side, having somebody to pair with this year's Arnold Abakiti, whoever the lead pass rusher is, Penn State didn't have that last year. The highest, uh, you know, pressure isn't everything. Sacks are important. Hits on the quarterback are important. Penn State had 13 pressures from Brandon Smith, I think. That was the second highest pressure rate of any other player that went after the quarterback. And he was a linebacker that blitzed. So, finding a second player to make legitimate pressure happen, get to the quarterback, attack, and defeat blocks, they need that. So, if you don't have one guy that that is having possibly the best pass rushing season... For James Franklin, uh, outside of maybe Carl Massib, then you need to find two guys that can be very good. And, I, you know, they've got the opportunity for that with some players that you mentioned already.
1: Well, before we get to that second guy, let's see if we have the first one. Um, right. uh, and let's start <laughs> with the defensive ends. And Nick Tarburton is back, but I don't think of him as a guy who's going to get pressure on the quarterback. So when we take a look, let's start with Adisa Isaac, who's returning, and Chop Robinson, who's coming in as, through the transfer portal from Maryland. He comes with a great pedigree, five-star guy out of high school. So, T. Frank, who's the guy? Adisa Isaac, Chop Robinson? Let's start with them before we get to anybody else's the possibility.
2: Oh, I feel like I'm playing a game on the Price is Right where there's something behind two doors and, and you just, like, it's a chance at this point. It's, it's totally, I don't want to say it's random, but we have no information on these two players. I, uh, in our season preview uh, for the Blue-White Illustrated Daily Edition, I was putting together how many career snaps these guys have, you know, over from PFF. Nick Tarburton has 500. The rest of everyone else you just described is 300 or under. So Adisa Isaac, who's been here, that we're counting as this, like, returning pass rusher that everyone's excited about, I understand why they're excited, but on the field, he was no more than what we talk about with Smith-Vilbert as far as a guy that flashed. A guy that got some pressure and was able to make some splash plays but was not consistent so, and I'm not I'm not trying to say that everything you've heard is wrong or that people are lying to you about Adisa Isaac. I'm just saying that if you want me to say that, I'm a person that needs the evidence to say that. And I, I can't say that at this point. I, even in the blue-white game, he was in a non-contact, well, I should say, he was in thud. He was never in the full contact periods, from what I remember. So, you know, coming back from an Achilles injury, one of the biggest questions is, with that particular injury pushing off your heel driving through the ground do you have the same explosiveness he has had over a year to rehab this that is a strong possibility but when you throw on the 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 intrigue of what he was to begin with with the injury i don't know <laughs> i don't know we've heard good things you know throughout all of these uh preseason camps and now camp and then on the flip side chop robinson He had 293 snaps and half of them were in coverage because they used him as a Jack linebacker that rushed the passer sometimes and was out in coverage sometimes. So transitioning to being hand in the dirt, 4-3 defensive end, it's not necessarily the pass rushing stance that I care about. It's when you have to consistently rush the passer and you're not there one-off blitzing and maybe you're dropping and maybe you're not. You've got to be able to have a plan every play and you can't let them have a tell if there's more evidence of you pass rushing, there's more ways to stop you if you're a good offensive tackle. But as far as explosiveness, speed, bend to the quarterback, size to be you know strong through contact, some variation of those things he has right now, and he's got more in his future. I'm very high on that, but we haven't seen it yet. Um, so of the two, I would say, I because I've seen a little more and more recently from Chop Robinson, I feel better about him. But I I think that Penn State is very clear that Adisa Isaac is the lead pass rusher here.
1: Let's get real quick on, to finish up the defensive ends, who else might we see who could potentially be that guy? Is it Smith Vilbert, who flashed in the bowl game last year? Is it freshman, deny Dennis Sutton, or one of the other guys?
2: So I think you'll see a lot of them. I think you'll see Smith Vilbert. I think you'll see Deny. I think you'll see Nick Tarburton rush the passer a couple of times. Um so how that plays out, Denai is obviously the one that has the uh physical ability and has the pedigree to be the third guy pretty immediately. As long as and, and we hear we only hear good things about his physical abilities. You know, he's stronger than some of the guys that are seniors. He's big, he has a, a well grounded, emotionally stable work ethic. So everything's positive there. But again, he's a true freshman. So I'm going to. I'm not a hot-take artist, unfortunately. It would be better for my career if I was. So I'm not going to say he's going to be the lead dog by the end, but I do expect him to contribute this year. So they have more options la- than they did last year, kind of like in the running back situation. It's just, when do those options come to fruition? Uh, fruition, excuse me. Does it happen? I believe it will. But does it happen against Purdue? I don't know.
1: Let's get to the defensive tackles. I assume one guy's going to be pj mustafer and the second guy is going to be
2: uh well hakeem beeman is the starter you know and he's the guy that uh would have been a starter last year but whatever held him off the field he didn't play in 2021 i still have significant concerns about pj coming back so quickly he's not he's today actually today of our recording is nine months since his injury and he's already participating in practice. So that's the minimum threshold of time. You need to come back from an ACL injury, and he was his, from what I heard, was considered pretty serious. He talked about all the guys that motivated him coming back. Not all those guys that came back super early that he talked about all played well. So that is my concern. But the good news is you hear great things from camp about Jordan Vandenberg, about some of the other players at defensive tackle, and I think they have enough depth that they can rotate him and, and he can go slow. But he will be a factor. Again, like the defensive ends, this whole defense is how quickly does it come together? And the defensive line has some serious questions of will that happen when they needed to to be blackout Thursday night at Purdue? Um, I think they'll have enough. But, you know, is it going to be clean? I don't know.
1: You mentioned Jordan Vandenberg. Who are the other names that fans should be aware of who, in your mind, can be a factor at defensive tackle?
2: Well... Devon Ellis and Kazai Izzard were the players that took over at the end of last season. I don't know if it's fair to call them starters. That's what they ended up being, but uh, they did not play well. Those guys are in line to play, especially Ellis behind Mustafer. Vandenberg, I'm personally, I, I haven't seen the depth chart. You know, I haven't seen uh, practice to see where they line up, but I think his skill set, given what they have elsewhere, He's a good one tech. He's that, that nose tackle, a little bit undersized, but also he's very strong. He's very explosive. He makes up for it in a lot of other ways. So then on the other side, you have Beeman, Izard, and of course, freshman Zane Durant. So the three technique position, I think, is stacked. Those three players can rotate and all have an effect. And then again, it becomes, is Zane Durant so good that he's going to take snaps from the other guys? And I think there's a, there's a possibility for that. <laughs> I just think he's really good I, I just I see the it factor the intangibles of being explosive breaking through contacts, shedding blocks better than everybody else but I don't want to say it's gonna. again I don't want to say it's gonna happen week one he's not gonna be the starter but he will be a factor this year at the defensive tackle position which they have more options this year than they did previously which is another theme of this Penn State defense and the team overall having more depth
1: And he came in early. He was there in the spring. And if you read the tea leaves, the coaches have been talking about him a lot. All right, T. Frank, that's it for quarter number one. Stick around. Quarter number two, we're going to talk linebackers. Statecollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Poorman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.
0: It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, we made it through the defensive line in quarter number one. Spent a little extra time on the defensive ends, but we managed to get through the defensive tackles then also. This time around, it's the linebackers. Let's start with the losses there. Ellis Brooks, gone. Brandon Smith, on. By the way, mm-hmm. they were the two leading tacklers on the team a year ago. I'm also going to add Jesse Lucada again. <laughs> I listed him as a loss on the de- <laughs> defensive. Well, if... When Ellis Brooks was out, who, who did they move to linebacker, right? Yeah. Jesse Luceda. right? You didn't, you didn't ask
2: me the... if I agreed with that decision, though. Not that it's my uh, place <laughs> to, to tell the Penn coaching staff one way or the other, but all the evidence of his performance at Mike Linebacker pointed to it's, it. Losing Jesse Lucchetta <laughs> as your safety blanket might make you push you into a place where you have something a little better.
1: So what you're saying is as a middle linebacker, he's a good defensive end
2: there's a reason he moved to defensive end, is what I'm saying. Watch two years of him trying to break down in space and tell me, oh yeah, like he's, he's a great option at middle linebacker, which the Cardinals are talking about too, of like, I, I listen, this is not to, this is not to get on air and tell you how bad Jesse Lucchetta is. I thought he was transformative at defensive end. His run stuffing ability, his ability to shed tackles is phenomenal, but he did not play well in space. Those are facts. And I'm, he is so much better off playing on the defensive line. But every time they moved him to Mike, and I just, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. Well, here's the thing, though, uh, T. Frank.
1: They apparently, at least they apparently thought they didn't have a better option. Right. Which leads us to this season. After losing all of that, Ellis Brooks, Brandon Smith, and a not-great decision as the fourth linebacker in Jesse Luceda. So the decision is, this year, take a safety, make him a linebacker, and essentially at middle linebacker, two guys who weren't good enough to overcome Jesse Luceda last year at middle linebacker, right? On the surface, that sounds like I should be concerned about this position.
2: Uh, You know, I don't know if I'm I'm an eternal optimist, but I— I like the Penn State linebacking core, and I consider the Mike and the Will position, the two box linebackers, to be the linebackers. I don't really consider the the striker position, the Sam, to be part of the linebacker conversation. Now, I'm sure everyone would disagree with me from Manny Diaz down to people on the internet. But the reality is, when you look at, we're talking about linebacker body types. These are players that were recruited to play linebacker that are 6'2", 230+, plus, or, you know, in that range with that growth pattern. They're all playing in the box. None of them are playing at SAM anymore. So if I'm looking if I'm a scout, if I'm trying to find players for Penn State, I'm not looking at linebackers. I'm looking at safeties. I'm looking at in the class of 2023, Dakari Nelson. I'm looking at uh you know some of the other guys they have coming in the class of 2022 with KJ Winston or Tyrese Mills. Mills already is playing that position, you know, uh on the depth chart. So so when we're looking at the Mike position, I said this before. I'll say this again. If you're taking your orange juice and you're condensing it down into the frozen stuff from the, the freezer section in the grocery store, that's what we've got now. You've condensed everything down, it's concentrated, and your talent is in two positions. I think it gives you depth. I think that gives you flexibility at those positions. To the point about Elsden and King, I agree with you. On the surface, coming into this season, it did not look great for them. But when we saw Tyler Elsden in the bowl game... He played well. He did what he does, and what I saw from him uh, when he was—I think he was in Schuylkill County. I forget what high school he was, but you know, playing in uh, in in Eastern PA football, like he was a he was a missile in run defense. So he did all of those things. He has taken to Manny Diaz's defense. That sort of uh, attacking style is great in this scheme where you're attacking the defensive line. All those things play well and what we've heard so far the evidence to back that up is that they haven't moved uh abdul carter to the mike position they've been toying with that idea they've toyed with getting people in the transfer portal but kobe king and tyler elsden had performed so well during the spring when they gave them the opportunity that they decided those guys are enough are they right do you trust the penn state coaching staff um again, a, a situation where we we will find out, but if you're looking at those two box linebacker positions, when you got Curtis Jacobs, one of the most instinctive players and one of the smartest players that makes plays and plays bigger than his 230 pounds, I think he's going to be a breakout player this year. And then as long as that other guy is doing his job, they'll be okay.
1: At middle linebacker, am I worried? Yeah, I am. Because we haven't seen enough from these two guys. You... It's interesting T Frank, the way you shape the issue when talking about Abdul Carter, who's a very talented freshman, incoming freshman, who they talked about as a possibility at middle linebacker to contend for snaps, and they said, oh, wait a minute, we won't need him there. Yeah. That's a reflection on um, King and Elston. And by the way, Elston was at North Schoolkill
2: in Thank high you. school. you. I knew Schuylkill. I'm not, I'm not well-versed in eastern Pennsylvania, so I, 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 I don't think that's northeast PA. That's, that's in the eastern midsection of the state, Schuylkill County, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, right.
1: And uh, from the uh, metropolis of Frackville.
2: <laughs> there we go. All right, yes. He plays like a Frackville linebacker is what I was trying to say. He is gritty. He is tough. He hits people very hard.
1: You come from Frackville, you better be that way. So that's the, you know, uh, linebacker. We're we're trusting of Curtis Jacobs. It was also interesting that um, uh, James Franklin, I believe it was, dropped Keon Wiley's name at middle linebacker, a guy who played defensive end in high school. Not expected to play as a true freshman, but the fact that they moved Abdul Carter, who was the guy who might have been a threat to play. Even though you don't want to call him a linebacker, I'm going to call him a linebacker because we're not going to deal with them when we analyze safeties. Let's talk about that striker position. Yeah, that's what Manny Diaz called it at Miami. By the way, is he calling it that now here? He called it no? Sam
2: the other day. So what do I know? You know. So they 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 still call it the Sam linebacker here. That's a, that's what he well, said at media day. So, you know, I, I am amending what I said. The other day I told somebody, Sam is dead, long live striker. And immediately Sammy uh, Manny Diaz is, is talking about Jonathan Sutherland at the Sam. So it's a name. What's in a name? What is the point? I guess I emphasize that to emphasize the difference between the two for Penn State fans who keep telling me, hey, what about Jamari Budden? What about X? What about Carter? What about if you're a linebacker body, You're playing in the box. That's the end of the story for this year until they tell me otherwise.
1: Well, let's just uh, establish this on the Keystone kickoff show. We're calling it the striker position. I just like that better. But (laughs) let's talk about what that position is. It sounds like you have established, T. Frank, that if you're a true linebacker, you're playing one of the other positions. If you're to play that other position, the striker position— it's a different body type. It's a different position. It's linebacker. I'm yeah. sorry. It's essentially a safety. That's what Jonathan Sutherland is. And any depth for that position is going to be someone who came in probably yeah. as a safety.
2: Yeah. Dom DeLuca is the other guy that moved with Sutherland. And I don't know that he necessarily moved, but he was a high school safety. So he played he played defensive back in high school. Um so this that's why you saw him in the blue-white game as the primary backup to uh, Jonathan Sutherland, and that's why he made so many plays in that position, is he's a safety. That's what they're going for. So let's just start there. That's the skill set and the production they want from that striker position. A safety with ball instincts to go get the football in coverage and make plays, but in an underneath role. The role has not changed. So... It's still the Sam linebacker that covers the field side. It is still the player that adds into the box, that has to set the edge at times in run defense, that blitzes off the edge. Manny Diaz is heavy on pressure, so there's a lot of blitzing from the field to try and get a free run at the quarterback. But in the majority of these situations, in this underneath coverage where you're covering sometimes a lot of ground, you need to be able to be a safety in that situation, to cover like a safety to not let underneath players get free on a five yard curl that the instincts to break on the ball on underneath routes and to blow up screens. You know, those are all the same responsibilities, but that player has to be able to cover better than focusing on, you know, support in the box in run defense, but you cannot have bad support in run defense in the box. So while James Franklin is correct when it says it's emphasizing this it's emphasizing a different aspect of the same position it is the same position but that changes the body type in the player you're looking for and by the way i think you can find more guys that are 6 foot 2 220ish pounds that run like safeties but maybe aren't fast enough to play one of the traditional spots, then you can find linebackers that are freaky fast and cover like safeties because in Penn State's defense, they're putting those guys at will anyway. So you need to have two wills. This way you have more options from a – anthropological perspective of there are more people that look and act and run like that. So it's not a bad idea. There is not. So I don't think Penn State fans should be afraid of this transition because a lot of schools do this. This is a very common thing in the NFL and in college.
1: And that position already was about coverage. So the fact that you're going to have a safety there. Now, I was never the biggest fan of Jonathan Sutherland at the safety position is this the case where those coverage skills it's all relative. He may have been just average as a coverage guy at safety but compared to most linebackers he's pretty good
2: theoretically. That's I, uh, I, I, theoretically. Um I so so I struggle with this because I I when when we have this conversation and the people that I have this conversation with are flatly against the whole thing to begin with. So, you know, everything is shaded by your environment. You know, and my, my perspective of, the, of this kind of has changed over time where we've, we've swung too far towards Jonathan Sutherland is a bum. But there are legitimate concerns about his play, his open field tackling, his instincts at the position. Those don't change because you're playing in underneath coverage. They're just mitigated so you don't give up touchdowns when you're playing in a deep third or a deep half. So, and he's not going to be playing any of those positions. Is he the ideal for this position? The archetype of what I would build of a guy that plays two downs, mostly, um, in this situation? Probably not. But I think he can be serviceable in this role, which is part-time, as we saw with Curtis Jacobs last year, who was very good, but was a linebacker that came off the field for a corner.
1: All right, very good. That's it for the linebackers, T Frank. Quarter number three, come back. We're gonna take your questions and we're gonna ask T. Frank.
3: In his book, Why Penn State? Author Greg Woodman takes readers on a trip back in time to Happy Valley in the 1980s. A unique era of gridiron success and rapid expansion that gave our university its modern identity. Whether you're traveling down memory lane or discovering old state's past for the first time, this compilation of rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews helps you explore the why behind we are. Start your journey today. Order online at whypennstate.com.
1: StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Poorman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team,
0: 814- 206-0000 Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. I'm Jim Galante with T. Frank Carr, and it is time for Ask T. Frank. This is where we have T. Frank answer your Penn State football or recruiting questions. You want to submit a question? Download our app from the App Store. Just search on Keystone Sports, and you'll see the Ask T. Frank button. At the end of the segment, we are going to pick out a winner for the best question, and they will receive a copy of the great book, Why Penn State, by Greg Woodman. It talks about how Penn State became Penn State, emphasizing the decade of the 80s. Just a a tremendous read. It'll be hard for you to put it down, especially with the excitement of the season coming up. Great time for the book. If you want to get a copy on your own, go to whypennstate.com. You can also get it at other places. I know it's available on Amazon. I'm sure it's available other places also. T. Frank, you ready for your questions? Always. Always. All right. Here you go. Let's start with Eric from Ashburn, Virginia, who says, Love your work, T. Frank. I was curious to know how coaches react when analyzing their own offense versus their own defense or individual matchups. For example, do they get excited when the offensive line dominates a practice session, or are they more discouraged with the defensive line's development? You get the point.
2: Yeah. Um so I just think it's it's important and I I appreciate when this happens. Um but I just want to I want to make it clear. I I have never been a coach at the D1 level. I've never been a coach. So I, I couldn't necessarily give you that answer as fact or as a concrete thing. But I I think to your point, there's always a give and take there. And when James Franklin has been asked those questions, uh He gives some variation of of that answer of I love it when we have a strength, but then it becomes like, are we getting better on the other side? Are we still battling? And is it that it's one side is great or there is a problem with the other? So I, I think when it comes to analyzing your own offense, the more valuable stuff that he's told us about is... You know, During the bye week, middle of the season, you go back and you look at everything you've called. What are our tendencies? What are our tells? Can we eliminate some of those and then have the defense do the same thing and look at the offense and then look at themselves and kind of cross-reference of saying, okay, this is how I'd attack this going forward. So once the film is out on you, you hopefully have an opportunity in that environment of what I just described to predict how teams are going to attack you because... Your own defense has self scouted you to say, These are your weaknesses. This is how I'd attack you. And this is how somebody else is likely to do that. But as far as like how do coaches feel or think, you know, I've been around them. I've asked them questions, but I've never been one of them.
1: Don't you also think, T Frank, there's a situation where, for example, uh, James Franklin, I believe, brought this up in talking about Norzad, the transfer from uh, Cornell, an Ivy League school. And he said, well, it's a little different now blocking in the Big Ten, and we get to see him go up against yeah. yeah. P.J. Mustafer and Akeem Beeman, where if Norzad does a good job, I would think that's a little more of a positive because, hey, we know what we have in P.J. Mustafer. Yeah. We don't know what we have in Norzad, and if he steps up and can hold his own against the P.J. Mustafer, that's a pretty good sign.
2: Yeah, yeah. Is it is it PJ Mustafer? So you know, not to bring this particular topic up again, but it, you, to to the point of a Division One Big Ten defensive lineman. Yes. Uh, the other thing they talked about this week was that um, you know Manny Diaz's defense emphasizes turnovers, fumbles, getting the ball out of the hands of the of the offense, and that sort of you know battle tested in camp. If somebody's emphasizing that and attacking the ball every play, you should be prepared for the season. It just I I don't I just don't know how far that goes, because in the moment, some things just happen from time to time. And I use that example because James Franklin
1: brought it up. Maybe not the best example with Mustapher coming off an injury. Oh, I know. I know. Hey, there's, you know, a known quantity on one side and a variable on the other. I think we want to see what that variable could do. Uh, let's go to Kevin in Lancaster who says, does having a safety, Jonathan Sutherland, move the linebacker make the team more, more vulnerable to the runny game as we saw against Illinois? Might teams like Michigan and Wisconsin
2: exploit this? Penn State was not vulnerable against the run because of the linebackers. Now, that is both true and not true where Brandon Smith needed to play better in that game. They were vulnerable because the young defensive tackles on the interior got reached on every play. They were losing gaps to Illinois because the defensive tackles were starting for the first time. They were new. They were young. They were not ready. And that had a cascade effect to the rest of the defense. So this narrative that the defense is going to be easy to run on because of a, of a linebacker, a safety linebacker, is is incorrect. It's just incorrect. Secondarily, um... I'll say this again. Lots of teams run this defense. Lots of teams have a safety in that situation. Most of the power schemes that we're talking about, that, you, that I think pan, fans that are concerned about this, you're, you're worried about power, you're worried about counter, you're worried about pulling linemen to the point of attack. Here's a secret. That all happens by the B gap, by the C gap. The, the, this guy's playing three to four yards outside the box anyway. You're, you are defending the box with the same exact number of players with the same exact number of skills. This guy is supposed to come in and be run support. He does have a gap. I'm not trying to take that away. But if you're talking about pulling linemen, power, those things, the Mike and the Will are responsible for filling those gaps. Because those players are coming from the back side of the play to the front side of the play. Now, are there situations where you can sweep, you can get out into space, and you can play out in space? Yes. But then you've got a safety player who has the agility and the acceleration and the speed to run around a fat guy. At least that's what he should be able to do. So that's his dojo, out in space. You're not trying to bring this guy into the box. And if that's the case... If you're bringing more players in the box, you're running with a fullback, you're running with a tight end, you're dropping a safety down and you have more numbers anyway. So I think it's overblown to say that this is a serious problem because of one player's change and 15 pounds of muscle. Now, is Jonathan Sutherland the best run defender? Is he the best positional player? I think we have a conversation about his skills, but it's not necessarily about his size or or the theory of playing a safety there.
1: All right, let's go to Ryan in State College. He says, are you concerned that we haven't heard more about Drew Aller? Other five-star quarterbacks in, with other schools um, make an instant impact. Is this do part they? of a long-term plan to bring him along slowly, or is he maybe taking longer than hope to flash?
2: Do they, though? Do Do all five-star quarterbacks— make an instant impact. I feel like there is a lot of hand-wringing about what Penn State has versus what we see from other places. And is it, are those flashes that you see on social media, are they true? Like, are they actual things? Well, I could... Having done a little bit of research on it... <laughs> okay,
1: because I have not. No, over, over half of the five-star quarterbacks turn out to be bust. okay? Right. And... Okay. You know, so five-star quarterback is no guarantee of stardom. I think we all have a um, a tendency to cherry pick. Wasn't Trevor Lawrence a true freshman when he got on the field with Clemson? Yes, yes, he um, was. And, yes. and and what what I'm and, and I'm in doing that I'm cherry picking. You know, right. the guys who are now in the NFL, perhaps uh two and maybe not right away, but at the end of the year with Alabama. Yeah, Wasn't he a true freshman when he came in? So again, I'm I'm cherry-picking with that. But maybe I'll reframe the question a little more with Ryan. You know that with James Franklin, you read the tea leaves, you hear him dropping names. And typically when a player is doing well, James Franklin will drop that name. And we have not heard that much about Drew Aller. So is he catching up a bit? Is he not quite... And and not all of these guys go at the same speed in their development. Yeah. So I wouldn't I'm not gonna call Drew Aller a bus in the summer before his right. freshman year.
2: So so let let's let's get into that. Yes. Yes, there is a conversation around that of is Drew Aller exceeding expectations? No, I do not think so. I don't think he is a burgeoning superstar, five star player right now, but is now the time? to be worried about that and is now the time to be concerned about the long-term projection of, as you just said, everyone develops at a different rate. So I'm not concerned about Drew Aller whatsoever because if I'm trying to predict Penn State's winning and losing this year, it has nothing to do with Drew Aller. And that is as important about next year's ability to recruit and to have, you know, player development and all those things than it is about one individual player, even as much as I have focused and people have focused on the quarterback position and the obsession of we're finding the guy. Because he's not the guy right now doesn't mean he won't be in the future. But you do make a good point. Is James Franklin a, a heaping praise on Drew Aller for being ahead of schedule like we've heard about Drew Shelton? No. and And that is something to note. You write down that note, but you don't then go shout about it in the street. That makes sense.
1: I also think, T. Frank, you have to be careful when you're James Franklin and how you distribute that praise, especially about quarterbacks. Do you start talking about Drew Aller as the second coming? Then you have to worry about Christian Vayu, who will be saying, well, wait a minute, if you think so highly of Drew Aller, perhaps my future is elsewhere.
2: Yeah, nobody's asked about Drew either. To your point that you always make about has he talked about Drew, he hasn't talked about Drew because everyone's asking about all the players that we're going to see on the field, the things that we need to know right now. So no one really has asked about Drew. That will change. Penn State has media availability tonight, so maybe somebody will ask about Drew and the young quarterbacks and their progression so far. It won't be me.
1: All right. Very quickly, I'm going to get to Brad and Percasey because he – Brad was our winner last week, but I want to sneak in. He had two questions, but I want to sneak in this second one. Will there be a turnover chain at Penn State this year?
2: I don't care. And if there is, I still won't care. Uh, but that's because I don't, I'm not, aff- my sensibilities are not offended by such things. Uh, and Brad always trying to get me these hot take questions. You know what? Okay. You know what? I'll play along because I want to be fun. I love the turnover chain. I love it. If I was going to side on one side of these things, I think it's fun, but be organic, be original. Uh, you know, the turnover changes, bringing it to Penn state at ah, nah, I don't care. Do something fun, creative and original and I'm in.
1: My only issue is don't celebrate the turnover chain when you're behind 30 to nothing. Yeah. All right, T. Frank, do you have a winner?
2: I don't. I don't. But Kevin in Lancaster Okay, no comes winner in. this week. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin in Lancaster right. comes in by default first.
1: All right, Kevin, you're our winner. Stick around. We got a special guest in quarter number four. Statecollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.
0: We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And it's quarter number four of the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante with a really special guest. An excellent tight end, member of a national championship team with the Ohio State Buckeyes, A 10-year NFL veteran and currently can be heard on Sirius XM ESPNU and Big Ten stations.
4: Welcome to the show, Ben Hartsock. Great to have you on. Excited to be here. Excited to be here. I I, I played in Happy Valley a couple times as a player, but I'll tell you, last year, Jim, I I called the Indiana-Penn State game. And it was my first opportunity to tour campus. As, as a player, you never get to see anything other than the locker room and the playing field. That's, that's it. But as a broadcaster, I, got to, I went to the Creamery. I went and took a picture by the Nittany Lion. Uh, just really, really blown away. I, I understand now how James Franklin can recruit so effectively there to Happy Valley. All right. Now, first of all, the
1: most important question, what flavor of ice cream
4: did you get? Oh, peachy Paterno had to get Peachy Paterno. It's, it's, <laughs> it's on our Big Ten channel uh, on SiriusXM, on our Big Ten channel openers. It's, it, it talks about the traditions across dotting the I and Peachy Paterno, one of the staples in our Big Ten conference.
1: Those are the highlights. Now, I don't mean to age you, Ben, but it's been 20 years ago that you played at Ohio State. Yeah. And for our younger fans who may not remember you or appreciate what a good receiver you were, you were so good, you were capable of taking a ball that bounced on the turf and turned it into a completion. <laughs>
4: That was uh, a controversial moment in history for Penn State and Ohio State fans. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that was my senior year. We were defending our national championship, and we had a backup quarterback, Scott McMullen, that had come in the game, and it came down to the wire, and we needed a third down conversion, and we ran a route that I've caught a million times. And I don't remember who was defending me, but that they came in and punched the ball out from behind as we were falling to the ground in a heap. The ball bounced down straight to the ground and right back into my arms immediately and I get up like you're taught to do and say like, yeah first down catch right and there was no instant replay at the time uh I feel guilty a little bit but not so much that I'm <laughs> going to bring it up for review <laughs> <laughs> well so essentially here
1: correct me if I'm wrong here Ben but essentially what you're saying is uh the Big Ten is filled with officials who are Ohio State homers
4: yeah, I, well, all I don't know what compels a human to choose that line of work. I'd never have understood the attraction to a job where if you if you perform flawlessly, nothing is said. If you have the the best officiated game in the world is not talked about. But the opposite of that, the worst officiated game, they're trying to set your car on fire outside. like Those aren't the parameters of best-case scenario, worst-case scenario that I want to operate in, Uh, but officials choose to to get involved in that. I guess if you can't play the game, it's the next best thing to be around it, but it's certainly not something I would choose to do.
1: Well, it reminds me, I recently was speaking to a football coach. You said the difference between playing offensive line and defensive line. Defensive line, you could – Be bad, 99 out of 100 plays, and then the one play you make the sack, you're a hero. Offensive line, you could be great, 99 out of 100, but you make that one mistake, that's when they talk about you, and it's the same way with with officiating. But anyway, we could go down this line forever, but I got you, a Big Ten kind of guy. It's an opportunity to talk to you about so many crazy things going on in college football in general. Let, let's get to the Big Ten specifically. The off-season, the big news, USC and UCLA going to be joining the conference. You and I were talking about this off the air. What a huge step. What, what was your reaction when you first heard the news?
4: Well, it's a huge win for the Big Ten Conference, and it's a huge win for Commissioner Kevin Warren, who, uh, you know, he stumbled out of the gate. He was dealt a hard hand when he took over as commissioner with COVID, canceling the season, had had families of players marching on the Big Ten headquarters his first couple of months in office. So this was a big rebound for him to bring in these marquee. It was, it was the counterpunch to Texas, Oklahoma, uh, joining the SEC. And so... It's a win for the Big Ten Conference and in the, in the trajectory of college sports uh, that, that is, we're currently on, but uh, to be quite honest with you, Jim, I, I'm, I don't like this current trajectory that we're headed. Uh, we, we are in an era of consolidation of power, and we are in an era of redistribution of wealth in college sports, and there's two different ways that I think this is going to hurt college football. One the Big 10 conference is going to be fine. The SEC conference is going to be fine. Everybody outside of that is going to hurt mightily in this redistribution of wealth. Whether the whether the group of 5 ceases to exist or the the remaining 3 conferences in the Power 5 are reduced to a version of JV football and college athletics, that is that's a harmful thing. Like Penn State fans, you're going to be fine. Buckeye fans like me, we're going to be fine in this new world order, but I, there are tons of passionate fan bases across this country like West Virginia and 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 Texas Tech and Iowa State and Washington State that aren't going to have a place at this new table because what's happening with the Big Ten, with their media rights deal, they're saving it all for themselves, and what's left of these other conferences are going to get pennies on the dollar. And already we live in an environment of college athletics where uh, – I think there's only 20-some financially viable athletic departments that exist, and we're only going to make it harder for those that struggle financially to to happen. So that's one thing. And then the other aspect of this is we're taking what I consider the crown jewel of human development in our country. I, I, amateur sports, specifically college sports, are our country's crown jewel of youth development, both men and women. And, and we are turning that into a professional enterprise, which fundamentally undercuts the purpose of the enterprise, which is development. Is college sports wildly profitable and a big business? Yes. But it was, it, it, it was insulated from the players. But now that in the world of NIL and now in the, the trajectory we're going towards full-on professional college football, in basketball, you undercut the purpose of development and you turn into a business. And, and if you, you've you been around enough guys from Penn State that went to pro, I, I've never met a guy that played pro ball that said they had more fun in the pros than they did in college. The college game is always a sweeter, more uh, more precious memory that young people have. And that's because they were insulated from the cold, hard realities of professional football. But we're turning that into college football, and I, I, I just I, I wouldn't support it. I wouldn't vote for it.
1: Is there or was there anything the NCAA could have done to slow this down or even stop it? It seems like the power is based in the conferences. So they've got to do what's best for the conference. You again off the air. You mentioned this. You either disrupt or get disrupted. Correct. That's right.
4: Yeah. Uh, where the it was a public relations misstep, I believe, by the NCAA. We've we've allowed over the past twenty years, really since the O'Bannon case happened, and and that was out at UCLA, where, where the uh, video game, the the college football video game player said, well, we should be getting a cut of that. It, either during that era or even previous, had the NCAA started a marketing campaign to say, look at what our college football and basketball players do. Through their efforts, their blood, sweat, and tears, we get to support the entire NCAA ecosystem, which services 460,000 student-athletes uh, in the NCAA, from D1 to D3. That's almost a half a million young people are, are benefited by the support of college football with the money that they make had they done that 20 years ago i think we sit, we sit here today as a source of pride saying, look at those young men, those guys. Yeah. They want to all go pro and we all go hope they have a pot of gold in the pros when they get there, but they're a part of this beautiful system that is uniquely American that gets to support women's athletics and, and Olympic sports and non-revenue sports. And it's a beautiful thing, but they didn't. And like you said, the, the college football or college sports and athletics is such a disjointed uh, enterprise. In, in general, it is hard to have any one consensus among anything now we've we live in an era of of self-worship and and and, and the, the era of self-worship manifests in college football a lot of ways or in college sports a lot of ways. Guys that opt out of bowl games, it may make sense for them individually, but it's self-serving and not team-serving. It made sense for Texas and Oklahoma to join the SEC, USC and UCLA to join the Big 10. That served their universities well, but it certainly hurt their conferences that they're leaving. And, and and Commissioner Sankey and Commissioner Warren, they're not looking out for the interests of college sports in general. They're looking out for the Big Ten, and they're looking out for the SEC. Every step of the way that you look at this current state of college athletics, it is an era of everyone looking out for number one. And 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 college athletics wasn't about that for the majority of its history.
1: It is now the reality, though, which leads to the question, Ben, what next? I know when... USC and UCLA first made the move. We started hearing rumors, you know, about 20, 30 different schools that were going to be racing to the Southeast Conference or the Big 10. That talk has slowed
4: down a bit. What do you see happening next for the Big 10? Well, there will be more teams brought into the Big 10 fold. And when Texas Oklahoma happened a year ago, the the conversation was we're going to have four super conferences, and that's kind of still a discussion. A year ago, I said, no, we're going to two mega conferences, and that's what it is right now, Big Ten, SEC, and I I believe this sincerely. If Greg Sankey finds an opening to cut the legs out of the Big Ten, it will do that, and if Commissioner Warren finds the same way to undercut the, the SEC, it would absolutely do that. No, the Big Ten or the SEC would love nothing more than to gobble up and devour the other conference. So what happens next? It's really, there's nothing sacred. We've learned that the concept of traditional conferences and, and regional alliances with what the Big Ten has done has shown there's no sanctity in the regionality of college sports. So, I, if I, again, I don't like this, but if I'm leading the Big Ten, I, I try to plant a flag in the South. I, before I pick up Oregon, before I go get Washington, I would go somewhere in Florida. The Miami Hurricanes, maybe Florida State, I would try to scoop up and plant a flag of Big Ten, uh, the Big Ten in the co- part of the country where most of the NFL players are coming from. Florida puts more players into the NFL out of high school than any other state, and you try to compete uh, through that lens. What does this look like? I think in five to seven years, the Big Ten has 20 schools, the SEC has 20 schools, and everybody not in the Big Ten or SEC is is relegated to a lesser version of college sports. Maybe they'll give those teams access to the expanded playoff, which will be another domino to fall. Uh, that's the most likely outcome but a, a more provocative outcome would be there could be a, a true merger like the AFL and the NFL uh, between the SEC and the Big Ten, and, and they form a true professional league uh, that, that feeds into the NFL, and and what's left for everybody else is is left for them to figure out themselves because it's not Commissioner Warren or Commissioner Sankey's uh, uh, job title. Unfortunately, Ben, that is it already. Thanks so much for being on. Folks, if you
1: want to follow uh, Ben on Twitter, it's at BenHartsock. He's also got a great YouTube channel, wonderful videos. Be sure to check those out. Ben, hopefully we'll get to talk to you again real soon. Yep, look forward to it. Thanks for having me on, Jim
3: in his book why penn state author greg woodman takes readers on a trip back in time to happy valley in the 1980s a unique era of gridiron success and rapid expansion that gave our university its modern identity whether you're traveling down memory lane or discovering old state's past for the first time this compilation of rare photos original essays and exclusive interviews helps you explore the why behind we are start your journey today order online at whypennstate.com.